Well, we're going to be hopefully participating tonight. I don't know if, uh, how many of you saw the text that went out today and asked you to bring your favorite Bible translation? You can do that if you just have a phone with a Bible program, so it's not that big a deal to remember, but be thinking about that uh, if there's something we can do. Okay, so this is part two of the Hased discussion that we had, but it's uh, a little more complicated than the first one because Richard wasn't here, and if you remember, I didn't have to do any review or anything. Yes! But I do have review yes! now. I do have a, a number of review slides. So I, I wanted you to feel important. Joy has said, you know, the whole thing. So anyway, <clears throat> here's that verse. Uh, this is a different verse. Uh, I pulled this one out of the message because I just love the, the sense of it. And, and I, I, I don't have anything against the message. I just don't use it a lot. But when I ran across this, I thought it was just awesome. Uh, now that you've cleaned up your lives by following the truth, love one another as if your life depended on it. <laughs> I think that's pretty good, right? That's pretty good. I mean, if that doesn't talk about said, I don't know what does. But I thought that was pretty cool. And... Um, I do know some people don't care for the message. You know, they, they call I mean, it is a paraphrase, too. But I, I used to... Uh, actually, I used the Message Bible when I first got saved. Actually, about three or four years after I got saved. Uh, and it, it was the Bible that the Lord used to, re, to reveal to me that the Scriptures were like a love letter to me. That it wasn't a, a doctrinal thing, because that's what I thought it was. It was like Him talking to me, writing a letter to me. And the message is what I use. So we, a friend of mine and I named Dave Jones were going back to uh, visit my grandma for a while in, in Texas. And uh, or we were going back there for a week and then coming back, and then I ended up moving back there. But uh, uh, I think I was 17, maybe 18. Yeah, I, was just, I just had turned 18. And we stopped at a Christian bookstore, and we bought... Uh, Dave was Catholic, so he bought a Catholic version, and I bought a uh, regular version, I guess a non-Catholic version. I don't know. Yeah, there was a Catholic version of the message, and, and uh, it had the Apocrypha in it and some other things that were listed in there. So anyway, that we, we bought those, and that was actually the revelation I had. I said, oh my gosh, Lord, you wrote me a love letter. So that was pretty fun. Anyway, it's the message. I thought that was fun. So uh, let's talk about your brain for a minute, and I, and I want us to remember what we learned out of this book. And here's the book. Um, and we haven't really covered a lot of the details in the book just a little bit. But the other half of the church talks about, uh, so you can see over here where that kind of uh, paisley looking pattern is, represents the right brain. That computer looking pattern represents the left brain. Fundamental understanding everybody talks about is your creative is the right side, your analytical is the left side. But it's much more complicated, obviously, than that. And your whole brain's always working. And then there's some other sections and so on. But the fundamental little thing that, that uh, this guy, Jim Wilder, uh, made a point to Michael Hendricks in this book that we're kind of looking at that plays into what we're trying to do and what we're discovering is how to take advantage of what Jesus is doing in your life, how to take advantage of the voice that you have. And this gave some structure to it, some language. So uh, I did a very complicated animation. Uh, I figured the brain was worth some technical prowess. So here it goes. See, it's a little slower in, it, in the left side. Pretty clever, right? I mean, that, that gets a point across. So what, what the basic point was is that we don't receive data in the, in the analytical function of our brain. We receive it in our right brain, emotionally and so on and so forth. And that side processes six times a second. So that also produces your, your like character reactions. And that's the whole point about this guy wanting to have something that will create character. And so you can't depend on choices to have a better character. There has to be more because you're, you're already going to react based on how you process what's going on. And then this whole thing is about how discipleship is changing the right side characteristics and, and aligning them and so on. And it's not that the left side and choices and conclusions isn't important because it is. But then there was another thing that we looked at last week which is the prefrontal cortex, uh, which is the frontal lobe, and it's a part 
down inside the prefrontal cortex that develops your identity. And if you remember when we talked about it last week, uh, Wilder, I, I put that quote up there that the part of your brain, the mechanism in your brain that creates your identity is a relational mechanism. And the blend is between what you see, so envision a little baby looking at his mom and dad, what you see and the expression on their faces and then the face that begins to form of your self-awareness. So a baby's growing in a little bit of self-awareness and it's that combination. Hi, time. Good to see you. It's that combination that uh, forms our identity. And obviously there's all kinds of potential uh, poor identity developers in the world, you know, the things you see. It reflects back a little bit on how joy, if you remember, was the, uh, and we'll talk about that in just a sec, but how joy comes from people, uh, the, the shine of, of people's face when you walk in the room and you see it. So it's fun. So anyway, that's, that's what we kind of, that's launched us into this thing. And there are the first two essentials, uh, and in the book he calls it nutrients in the grounds of character building, but, but they're, they're just essential things. The first two essentials for full brain transformational character growth, which is a long technical sounding way to say having a character like Jesus or the way uh, Dan Moeller says, uh, what's in you is what's going to come out when you react. Remember the story about his, getting his new truck and the new truck getting run into? If you guys have been around Dan very much, it's a story he uses pretty frequently. And his first reaction was to see if everybody was okay and to go up and check on the, on the gal that ran into him. And he was just really kind to her. And the point was, that's because that's, that's who he is. You know, it's not something he does. And character isn't something that you do. Character is something that you react to and you react from. It, it's a reaction out of you. So uh, another person uh, described it, I don't remember who, but I've heard other people do it, is when you squeeze an orange, orange juice comes out. And if you squeeze a lemon, lemon juice comes out. Now, there's nothing wrong with whatever you are coming out, except it'll reveal <laughs> what's inside. And that's sort of an uh, organic way, a farmer way of saying what, what Jim Wilder says, which is that how you receive things in the, in the right hemisphere of your brain causes a reaction to re reveal what your fundamental understanding and fundamental interpretation of life is. So... There are a couple of things here for full brain, full brain, using both halves, transformational character growth. And one of them that we looked at a couple weeks ago is a high level of relational joy. And just a high level of joy, period. And it comes from, in, in the case that they made, the reaction you have when the face of a person, and especially the face of God, shines on you. What we learned is that the scriptures mute this truth a little bit by, by calling the word in Hebrew that is supposed to be translated face, or which does mean face, calling it presence. And so then we, we get, you know, so many times we mitigate against intimacy because we're afraid of it. We're afraid of emotion and that getting us off track. Uh, and most of the time, when you read in a New American Standard translation or one of the modern translations, when it says uh, the presence of the Lord in the Old Testament, it literally means his face. And his face turning to you is different than his presence turning to you. His face is an acknowledgement of who you are. And then there's been a lot of psychology stuff done. It also goes up with what we talked about earlier about babies, is that that's why they register the face of their parents and, and why that expression and so on is so important and why we can take advantage of that and look at somebody and smile and recognize and acknowledge. And then we, in Joyland, we have a big advantage in this because we recognize that every single person is made in the image of God. And we'll get into that in just a little bit, but that gives us a reason to look and a reason to delight in them, even in, in some rough situations for sure. So, uh, so the first is a high level of relational joy. 
that comes from that. And the second is a secure, and, and hased is the Greek word, chesed is the way it's in a lot of lexicons, but it's translated in, uh, in a lot of places in King James and, and uh, New American Standard stuff as loving kindness. Uh, the, the word loving kindness is almost always, if you see it in the Old Testament, it's almost always hased. But hased is a kind of a broad, and it means connection, it means a secure relationship, belonging in a community. Uh, it's a little bit like uh, agape was a was a very uh, sort of I don't know what a sophisticatedly obscure word before the Christians started using it, and then it took some definitions. So Peter, uh, when he used about love, he was he would add words like deeply, love deeply. Paul had a whole chapter in First Corinthians thirteen defining what love meant. So anyway, the second of these unique deals is a Hesed community. And really, it's just a place that, that uh, you belong. And it's a place that you belong based on who you are, not based on what you do necessarily. And uh, it's kind of non-spiritual, and I don't even know if it's super accurate, but I always remember the old show Cheers and the theme song, uh, It's a Place Where Everybody Knows Your Name. There's, there's that kind of a feel to it, that you belong there, that people know you, they love you, that they, they understand you. Now, the, the next two things that come up after this are the nature of an identity that's based on we as a people rather than me as an individual or us as individuals. And the last one is that creates a situation where the, the, the governing thing about how your character gets developed is not what should I do, but what do my people do? How do my people react in this situation? And that does something from what Wilder says to work on the right part of your brain, the creative part of your brain, the reactive part of your brain, and you begin to transform, literally, your reactions. But, so let's go back to the joy. The delight that we see in Jesus' face and in the eyes of others creates and releases joy in our hearts, in our brains, literally, neurologically, electrochemically, and in our bodies. Uh, and there's, we did a little bit of an experiment a couple weeks ago, just sitting around doing that, and it helps to learn that that's true. It helps to, to learn that it's worth the awkwardness of actually looking directly at somebody and smiling in spite of them having the kind of day that you had, Greg. But there is joy still to be had if somebody's willing to look in, in the face and if you're willing to scowl back and then smile back and then scowl. And, and, the battle, you know what I'm saying? It has literally the power to transform us. And it creates joy. And joy is something that builds up in us like the charge in a battery. And, and so that's important to, to, to do that and to be that to people. Um, so that's that. Now on the Hesed side, Hesed type love is deep, secure family attachment rooted in acceptance and belonging prior to any performance. And I'll get into something that will help us not choke on that in just a second. But that's a, a kind of a definition. And the family part of this, you could, you could tell that hesed is like a Jewish word, which it is, of course, because that was one of the distinctives of the Jewish nation, is that they believed that, that they were chosen, right? They are the chosen people. And God had called them by name, called them through Abraham, called them, you know, so on and so forth. So anyway, that said love, it's deep and it's secure family attachment. It, it means that we belong. Uh, it's more like the attachment between a child and a parent. And it, the benefits of this family security kind of thing is that in, in almost every circumstance, you can screw up and it doesn't nullify your belonging. And we have to find a way in Christianity to allow people to belong before they believe and before they behave. We have to do that. And I'm not the first to say that. Bill Johnson said that for a long time. Other people talk about it. And the fact of the matter, it is true. It is true. Jesus died for me while I was still a sinner. But if you're still a sinner, I would like you to change before I acknowledge that he died for you. <laughs> and that's the way we've run the church for a long time, and it's not true, and it's not right. And it gives the wrong message, not only about God, but about people. 
Uh, it, we would be much better off stumbling around trying to say something goofy, like, I know something about you that you don't know, and then get in a conversation and tell them that it's because, you know, God's their father, even though they haven't, they've ne- never occurred to them that he is and that he loves them in spite of who they are. And that before they ever made a choice, he made choices on their behalf for life and for grace. So anyway, that's one. Now, on the joy, if we will just intentionally and openly choose and this is our part of contributing to the concept, if we'll choose to see and believe the image-bearing reality in a person, then we can actually become a source of transformational joy in that person. And I, I, I don't know, this is probably an acquired skill, but it's also a Holy Spirit-inspired skill of being able to look and see see Jesus in people, realize that even if, it, if there's almost no presenting evidence, they are still made in the image of God. And because of that, we can start looking. And then when you realize that the promise, for instance, of Pentecost, that uh, when they went back to sight, uh, this is what God said, uh, I think it was in Malachi, that in the last days, I'm going to pour my spirit out on all flesh. It wasn't just something that was designed to happen to the 120 in the upper room. It was a target-rich environment across the whole world. You, what qualified you was being of the flesh. And that pretty much included everybody. So if that's true, and I think it is, then we have reasons to be a source of transformational joy, life-giving joy. So if somebody needs to be changed, it's literally possible that your face, looking in their eyes, can play a significant part in their transformation. So we've got a lot, I think, to learn about that. And we've got a lot that we need to have faith for. But fortunately, the definition of faith is, is uh, it's the substance of things, hope for any evidence of things unseen, right? <laughs> so you can look at somebody and go, I don't see it, but. <laughs> and we got to learn to practice a little bit on just the awkward ones among us, you know, and then we'll get out among the, the real hardcores out there and see if we can change their lives. Now, to make this possible, I want to say that Hased love need not be blind or naive. It doesn't have to call evil good. It doesn't have to ignore uh, wickedness and abuse and all these kind of things. Hased love does not need to be blind or naive, but like God's love toward us, because this Hased love comes from God in the first place, Right, First John, we love because he first loved us. Okay. It can and must precede conditionality with grace. Does that make sense? Or did I make that word order weird? To me, the thing that guts the effectiveness out of love in the Christian community is that we make it conditional. It also guts the effectiveness out of love in the romantic community. Because if you start laying some conditions on somebody, I'll love you if you've already pushed love into a, a different category and not a, not a healthy one. Now, the beauty of the truth of this statement, and I do think it's a true statement, that doesn't mean that love doesn't bring obligations, because it does. And it doesn't mean that love can't bring conditions or can't present conditions, because it can. But conditions don't precede the giving of it. They don't precede the release of it. They don't precede the worth of it. They don't precede, especially in Christian community, conditions don't precede love as a gift of grace. And that's what we've got to try to figure out, how to extend to ourselves and to people around us. And I guarantee you, I I can't guarantee it, I believe this. If we can get good at this, if we can find the key that unlocks this, then who can stand before the love of God? I I mean, seriously. Just look at some of the stories 
you know, Peter, of course, he was already kind of, you know, curious about the Lord, but what did he say? He fell on his knees when he recognized who the Lord was. The guys to the road to Emmaus, we talked about a little bit before Christmas. As soon as they realized what Jesus was doing, didn't our hearts burn? And they, it was transformation. Transformational power comes in both of these things. If we can deliver joy to people, because the Lord's face is favorably disposed to people, period. He demonstrated that in Jesus. He demonstrated that to Jesus. I know there's some theological arguments against that. Um, I hope none of you have any. (laughs) But if you do, I'd be happy to talk to you about them. Um, But both those bottom two categories, we can be agents of of life-giving joy. And Hased love doesn't have to be naive, but it can still have grace lead the way before conditions are met, before we put restrictions on it. God will love you if. I will love you if. You can be a part of our community if. And I'm not naive. I know that can lead to some pretty awkward, weird situations. I've had it happen a couple times, or two, or three. And we haven't always dealt with it well. I was. This is making me think about a lot of relations that we've had coming and going. Okay. Here's just a couple of the words uh, Hesed, Chesed. Fundamentally, Strong's calls it kindness, but it involves this sort of range of motions down here. Wood Study Dictionary does a pretty good job of it. Kindness, loving kindness, mercy, goodness, faithfulness, love, acts of kindness. The, the ones there in red, it, it does, that's the range of Hesed love. And then uh, Agape, the New Testament version of that, uh, Strong's gives these pretty succinct love or two loves, not that it's inaccurate, but then the, the, uh, BDJ did that big, huge, massive thing that does all the breakouts. These three are, are what I want you to, to think about in the agreement that exists between uh, these two different, Abbott Smith and that one. The quality of warm regard for an interest in another, esteem, affection, regard, or love. Do you see how that is so much more relational? And in our culture, because we love dogs, we love peanut butter, and we love a good fight, it, it 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 love has a very ambiguous meaning. So I wanted to, us to realize that that in Greek, where they had different words, agape, eros, phileo, storge, that they had enough room there that agape means something unique and specific, and they've kind of pressed pressed for that. And so the relational aspect is what sets these definitions apart, I think. The quality of warm regard for an interest in another, esteem, affection, regard, and love. Then agapeo is to have a warm regard, according to, to Brown, uh, BDJ, BDAG, uh, to have a warm regard for an interest in another, to cherish. I love the word cherish. Doesn't cherish sound better than love in a lot of instances? Love is the base word for it, but cherish is, it, 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 it's like a treasure that you hold in your heart. And if you apply that to someone, then all of a sudden there's that kind of familiarity and, and heartness to it. You know, Cherish, have affection for love. I, I like to use the word for affection a lot and delight a lot. Abbott Smith says, similar, to feel and exhibit esteem and goodwill to a person. Now, the reason I like that one is because love isn't something that we hold abstractly. Love is something that we feel. Love is something that we hold. It's a possession. It's something that possesses us a little bit. So it's a relational, a relational thing. Uh, to feel and to exhibit esteem and goodwill to a person, to prize and delight in a person or in a thing. So that's what we looked at as far as the definitions of love. And so uh, they gave us a suggestion in the book, and I want to do this with a, with a couple of love-related scriptures tonight. This is why I wanted you to have access to your favorite Bible translation, because I'm going to encourage you to read and do some substitutionary work. Also, one reason that I put the message in the opening slide is because it's a paraphrase, and you all are witnesses that we used a paraphrase, and lightning didn't strike, or the roof didn't cave in, or there's nothing evil happened as a result or dangerous. So you are free to substitute one of the definition phrases or one of your making that's like it for this word to try and see, does it lift love 
out of the sort of vague, familiar ambiguity into something that might give us some guidance or give you personally some guidance. What is it, Lord, you're asking me to do? What is my role in a Hasid community? What is my role in creating an attachment and in honoring and esteeming and all those words? Remember, let's go back here and take a look at those. Uh, the quality of warm regard for and interest in another, esteem, affection, regard, love, to have a warm regard for and interest in another, cherish, have affection for and love, to feel and exhibit esteem and goodwill to a person, to prize and delight in a person. Nathan, are you still up there? So this thing, uh, this teaching already touched my heart tonight because Nathan and I were having a conversation. We were talking about weather because it's like super duper cold. Cold, way colder than here back in Kansas City. And uh, Nathan and I were the first two on. So we were chatting a little bit, covering things like movies and everything. And then I talked about, he asked what was new. And I said, well, it's your birthday. And I told him about the 13 days of birthday, or Vicky. And then uh, it reminded me to ask him when his birthday was. And his birthday is May 29th. I cannot tell you how many people I've asked, when's your birthday? When you have a birthday-like conversation. And I don't remember it five minutes later. I know Nathan's birthday because I wrote it down on a yellow pad. I've stuck it on my notes. And it, it, was, it was just a little reality of this that I had the privilege of sharing with Nathan. And then I shared the detail about why the 13 days of Vicky, so it was kind of fun. So anyway, warm quality and so on and so on. But see the relational part. And then if we back up one more, the uh, Hebrew, oops, wrong one. the Hebrew, Kindness, loving kindness, mercy, goodness, faithfulness, love, and acts of kindness. See, all those are relational. So, Hesed is, is that. It's, it's broader than just that stuff. So, let, let's try it. I'll, I'll do the first one, and then I'll let you pick some, and you can come up and read them. And if you have a different translation you want, uh, this just happens to be New American Standard. Beloved, okay, let me pick one. Uh, and you might have to, to swap a little bit of the wording around immediately around it. How about uh, okay? Um, I'll do the attached deeply too. So, beloved, if God attached deeply to us, we also ought to attach deeply to one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we attach deeply with one another, God abides in us. And, and this is how I don't know how to do it now, and his deep attachment to us is perfected in us. You see how it changes a little bit from just blowing through it with the, if God loves, then I love. You know. Now, if we really love people, it really, and I'm not trying to be mean to us, if we really believe that God loved us and, and that we love people, we probably wouldn't need word exercises to try to shake the, the ambiguity and knock the barnacles off of the concept. But so, beloved, if, if God so uh, God attached so deeply to us, we ought to attach deeply to one another. No one has seen God at any time, but if we attach deeply to one another, God abides in us. And the reality of his attachment to us is perfected in us. So somebody want to give it a try? It could be one of those definitions or something you think's close or something you remember back. And I can send the thing back. There you go. I've been doing a lot of uh, reading um, in the mess in the uh, mirror. Okay, file. good. Yeah. Well, you can, you can describe it differently. Loved ones, this is true about God's love for us. It is equally true of his love in us for others. God was never visible to anyone until Jesus brought him into full view. Now your love does the same. Our love for one another is evident of God's seamless union with mankind as witnesses witnessed in his love perfected within us. That's cool. So he's still using love, but the surrounding stuff makes it a richer thing to think about. All right, come on. Come on. Come on. Thank you, Vicki. So I'm going to do prize and delight. Okay. <laughs> um, that was a 
Sorry, let me take my gum out. <laughs> uh, beloved, if God prizes and delights in us, we also ought to prize and delight in one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we prize and delight in one another, God abides in us, and his delightful prize is perfected in us. There you go. All right, got time for one more on this one. We got more. Anybody? Okay. I'll start getting pushier in a minute. So here's a couple others. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. It's earlier in the same chapter. And everyone who loves God is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love God does not know God, for God is love. Anybody want to try one? Thank you, Jessica. Yeah, I'll do that with grace and patience. Okay. Beloved, let us have grace and patience towards one another. For grace and patience is from God, and everyone who has grace and patience is born of God and knows God. The one who does not have grace and patience does not know God, for God is grace and patience. Now, if you have any kind of uh, qualm about, well, is that really what love means? Well, that's what Paul said at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, right? Love is patient. And the whole point of grace is that the love of God has been extended in our hearts. So that's great, Jessica. Now, when you read it, did it, it, did it what did it do to the, to the thought about love in your head? Yeah, I chose that one because it just crossed my mind as one I wouldn't necessarily use to replace the word love with. So I just wanted to see how it would feel, how it would feel in my heart. And yeah, I definitely, I can feel the power in that. Like it just really emphasizes, especially the patience part. Like, wow, like that is him. Like that is an essence of who he is and the importance of that in us towards others, but it definitely did mean something, it meant something very powerful that I could just gloss right over other times. For me, when I used that one, it, it created a space for me to think about how to, how to think about, how to see, and how to hold somebody in my heart that was harder to love. Because somebody that needed grace, for instance, or somebody that called on patience. It, it, and so it, it expanded a little bit the category of people that it, that it clicked in my head about. So that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, Dave. So I'm going to do the kindness, mercy, and goodness. And I want to do that one because mercy, I've needed a lot of mercy in my life. <laughs> a lot of mercy. And Daddy's kindness is unconditional. He's just poured it all over me. And he is good. Mm -hmm. he's, he's so good. So, beloved, let us have kindness, mercy, and goodness for one another. For kindness, mercy, and goodness is from God. And everyone who has kindness, goodness, and mercy is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not have kindness, good, mercy, and goodness does not know God. For God is Kindness, goodness, uh, kindness, mercy, and good. Yeah. A time in your life when you didn't know kindness, goodness, and mercy, and therefore you didn't know that it was from God. Yeah. <laughs> and the difference is enormous when you recognize it, right? The difference is immense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that one works, I think. And uh, Again, if, if we think we're substituting uh, a greater for a, a lesser for a greater, uh, it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. As a pastor, I know that we don't take, we being, being the church, kind of in general, and I would include myself in it, we don't take full advantage of the power of kindness. We think that we can preach hellfire and brimstone and lead to repentance easier than kindness can lead to it. But the scripture plainly says it is the kindness or the goodness of God, depending on how you translate it, that leads to repentance. So what I'm saying is this, this exercise isn't just trying to 
mushy, mushy up or, or, or fuzzy up the definition of love. It's, you know, when Paul says that, that, that love is patient, to have patience included in our thinking as an act of love, as a, a foundation of love, you know, makes sense. I, I mean, I think it's a, a decent exercise. We've got to do something to ramp up our expectation that has said type of love and connection and acceptance and patience will work. So why not, why not dig into it a little bit at this way? Okay, anybody else? Zoomers, got anybody? Somebody want to read? Yeah, hi, Don. So you got it up? Well, I don't have the, the uh, no, I don't, okay. Um, I would fire at um, maybe, beloved, let us honor one another. For honor is from God, and everyone who honors is born of God and knows God. The one who does not honor does not know God, for God is loves honoring, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. We can we can kick these around. We can we can look at these and Yeah, that's good, buddy. That's good. So what'd that feel like to you? Oh God! It is it is um, something that is new to me as far as the item item idea of honoring people, even though they not believe may not believe the way you believe, or but the honoring on the fact that they are created in the image of God. And um, it is it is something that is, uh, makes me feel um, good. I mean, it really does. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, it's good. And hey, just for a second, if uh, anybody thinks that maybe honor was a stretch, that's pretty much what to have esteem for someone means. And it's in the fundamental word for agapeo. And uh, the elevation of, of people into prophets and kings and such, you know, that would be a, a, a thing that would have happened all throughout the Old Testament with Hesed. Yeah, Doris. I had to unmute. Um, I really want to go back to when you were talking about kindness. Several Several years ago, well, actually, uh, loving kindness, you know, I would read that and I kind of thought that I knew what it meant. And then I thought, well, I'm just going to look that up. And so it is a definition that has stuck in my head ever since. And anytime I hear someone say loving kindness, what I read that it meant is going beyond what is necessary. I just thought that was rich. Yeah. Yes. That gives you a, a, a definite image you can build. You can build something around, you know, going beyond what's necessary. That would certainly define what God has done through the ages with Israel and with us and stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. You want to read one of them, or? or... I already chose them in the Bible. Okay, no, no, no worries. That's a great, great comment. Anybody else on Zoom? Anybody else in the room? Richard is on his feet. He's ready. Okay, let me try this. Now, this is First John four seven eight. Okay. Look, guys, let us delight in, in everyone that we see. For when we delight in everyone, we see that it's coming from God. And you know when you delight in others, you know that you're born in God, and you know God. Now, if you have a problem with delighting in someone, or delighting even in yourself, well, question, why is it that? Why is that? Are you, are you not understanding who God is? 
for God is in delight with you. That works. You can take this far enough to get in trouble, and that's okay. <laughs> that, but doesn't, doesn't that make it... May, uh, the word I think I'm looking for is accessible. We, we have these filters that keep things a little bit away from us. And that, actually, Richard, that's really good. That's really good. And I don't think that violates the principle of what love is talking about. You know? The, the whole the lighting thing. Okay, so let's let's flash through a couple of these other scriptures, and I'm going to see what's going on. Anybody else on Zoom? Nope. Yes. Okay. Hebrews 10:24 and 25 says this, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. These two verses at the end of chapter 12 are so full of anxiety and so full of regulation and so full of rules and how do we order things like that. And I mean, I, I, I know from various discussions I've had throughout my life, and I even remember some of the discussions about this section of Scripture in Bible college and stuff. Um, let us consent, consider how to stimulate one of the love and good deeds. Uh, I don't know how to consider, I don't know how to stimulate anybody to love. I don't. I don't mean I'd, what do you do? You know, when I was in high school, before I met Vicky, I couldn't stimulate anybody. <laughs> I, I, I was a complete failure as a dating uh, go-after-him guy, you know. It was, it was a terrible, terrible condition. And then one day, Vicky popped up and, and remembered that I wanted a cup of coffee at a party, and she walked out, and it was head over heels, and we were done after that. Anyway, that was a lot of years ago. But let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and deep attachment to one another. Oh, wow. That is very, very different sounding. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to have kindness and mercy and goodness for others. Some of the ones where love is only used one time in a verse is way easier to plug this in and see, oh my gosh, this could lead us someplace. This could expand this opening. Um, so you plug this in the middle of the need to have the church be okay and people keep finding value in it even though the world is going to hell in a handbasket around you. Let's consider how to stimulate one another to have grace and patience toward one another. If we could make that happen, if we could insert that in the time between now, for instance, and November, that could be a huge contribution to society. You know what I mean? Got some more here. Uh, here's the, here's the uh, one. This is that one I put in first. Now that you've cleaned up your lives by following the truth, love one another as if your lives depended on it. Now, if any of you see anything here you want to read out, or plug in. So I was thinking, you know, of the, what's the or there? But so now that you've cleaned up your lives and, uh, and are following the truth, attach deeply to one another as if your lives depended on it. Why are we willing to settle for such shallow attachment relationships in church or even in our own families sometimes? Is it because we don't think they're important? or just because we've never really considered it? And would we consider it if we knew that it was literally God in us reaching out to connect with another image bearer? And I think maybe we could. Um, above all, keep fervent. Keep fervent in your grace and patience toward one another. Or keep fervent in... And then... I'll, I'll let you know I cheated on the next slide, and I put devotion, deep devotion to one another. Keep fervent in your deep devotion to one another. Keep fervent in your love for one, or one another. Doesn't rise up when I say it and cause me to rethink, maybe I'm willing to give up on a relationship without a fight. Maybe I'm willing to walk away from a group, walk away from a church, walk away from something. 
but it just doesn't do it for me. Maybe it's because of familiarity. I don't know. But above all, keep fervent in your deep attachment for one another. That opens the door. I think it's, it's kind of challenging. Um, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Now, so this is equating it. The, the, the Hebrews one plugged love into us reacting to the culture around us in the times. This one plugs us in to Jesus being who he is and doing what he does and what he did, what he's doing still today. A new commandment I give you, that you have warm regard and really take an interest in one another, even as I have had warm regard and really taken an interest in you to the point that I was incarnate, that I became human. That you also have warm regard for one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have warm regard for one another. I mean, even that's probably one of the weakest of the phrases, and it still carries kind of a big amount of punch, I think. So this is, I plugged one of the oars in for me to be deeply devoted to. How about this Romans passage? You got one, Vic? Okay. So, you know, I'm going through and I'm reading this, and I can feel in me in reading these, oh, nothing to anyone except to love one another. And honestly, love, uh, it doesn't carry the same weight, I don't think, as it should, because, hey, I love the mac and cheese tonight, <laughs> you know? I, I love your perfume. I love this quote. And this exercise to me is, is like really um, opening up my mind and my heart to kind of re-examine you know, I don't know that we could ever take back love in that sense because the whole society speaks like that. But wow, what a difference it would be um, to to tell somebody, you know what, I am so deeply attached to you, and I'm super delighted by that. That would be a whole different ball game. Something different to think about. Yeah. You know, you know like yeah. it, it just shakes your, exactly. your framework a little bit. Yeah, you know, yeah. or or wow, you know, you are you are so full of goodness. You know, I, I just feel the mercy coming off of you. <laughs> I mean, I, I just think that what a great exercise this is and and it's brilliant and um, I'm really enjoying it. Good, that's cool. It, it, what, she, what Vicky just said reminded me of a thing I ran across many, many, many years ago about praise. And we were part of a Pentecostal denomination at the time, Assemblies of God. I was in Assemblies of God Bible College. And one of the professors came in from out of, he was a missionary from some other country. And he came in uh, and, and he was pointing out, in fact, he says, sometimes our praise has no meaning. Praise you, God. 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 He said, what? Plug that into, you're, you're walking down the street and there's a mom walking down. She's got a cute little girl like Lydia, let's say. And the guy comes up to you and goes, praise you, praise you, praise What's your name? Cheryl. Praise you, Cheryl. Praise you, Cheryl. That would be kind of weird. <laughs> you know? It would, how do you react to that? I'm not saying God can't, because he's omniscient, discern what you're saying. But what, on the other hand, if some guy that wasn't doing that in that weird Pentecostal tone and just goes, well, I don't want to, I don't want to like violate your space here, but I've been watching you and your daughter and, and your interaction with her and her interaction with these other people. And I got to tell you, I think you're a fantastic mom and she is an amazing representation of you. And he said, praise is way different when it has content. That would be something you would go home and, you wouldn't say, gosh, honey, I was accosted by this weird freak and I was glad there was a cop standing close by. You know, it's just, we have this creative power, linguistic power, heart power, imagination power. It's all part of image bearing. We have the power. That's why us taking delight in one another, looking in somebody's eyes and framing words, making declaration, it can change the inner parts of people. It can unlock the locked parts. I really see that. I, th it's, I see it. Oh, nothing to anyone except 
to be deeply devoted to them. Be deeply devoted to one another. Because he who is deeply devoted to his neighbor fulfills the law. Now, I'm a big one for proper exegesis and word studies, but I guarantee you that is not inaccurate to the sense of that verse. Nor is it inaccurate, not just to the sense of the verse, to the calling that that verse presents. Be deeply devoted to one another. Because the one that is deeply devoted to his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Uh, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, (laughs) Vicki and I just watched a movie where there was a southern mother-in-law who uh, loved people, bless their hearts. If you know what I mean? And it did not convey love. Now, it was in her, but if she had been forced to think about showing tolerance for one another in, in, in delight or showing tolerance in one another in patience and goodness, it, there's something there that, that we, could, we could grow from. And then because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater, Paul's saying that, how about... Uh, because uh, your faith is greatly enlarged and the warm regard for and the delight you take in one another is growing from day to day. Wow. That makes you want to go, I'd like to visit that group. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So anyway, um, I think we're about done. Yes, we are about done. So, before we go on, anybody else, last chance, you want to get up here and see what it feels like in you? Because some of the people have reported, okay, and some, you know, you don't have to have, come up to the mic and sit it to know this is happening. But this really has the capacity to trigger something inside you, to open a horizon, crack open a window. Okay? Anybody? Where are we? Yeah, come on up. I'm sure this is... Yeah, there you go. Thanks, yeah. You said... The word cherish was some, a word that you really like. I like cherish, yeah. Yeah, and I think in this context here, love, as Vicki said, is just, I love the mac and cheese, I love this. But when you cherish something, it is three-dimensional. It's like taking love to the next level. Yeah, it does. It kind of, to me, means the same thing as if you go into a little longer phrase about treasuring something. Yeah. You, you, you're you're looking for a way to hold it close and to... And to honor value or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, that's why I like the word cherish, I think. But I think you're right. Yeah. And, and again, we're not trying to retranslate necessarily. That's not the burden that's on this. It's let's, let's jolt ourselves out of this, uh, oh, I love them, but I don't like them. I'm not saying that that's not possible to do, but that isn't the goal of any of these admonitions. Yeah. You, you don't get off the hook doing that, right? So any more? Ah, that's great. That's great. Thank you. What's your name? Uh, Lisa. I'm Carolyn's mom. I'm from Minneapolis. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, bless you. Bless you. All right. Well, so here we go. We're, we're done. Any other comments? You don't have to come up and read. Um, this is that one. I changed it, though. I changed it to this. Attach yourselves tenaciously. How about that? Now that you've cleaned up your lives by following the truth, attach yourselves tenaciously to one another as if your freaking life depended on it. (laughs) One example out of the book that I really liked was how when you're installing uh, paneling with adhesive, that it irreversibly bonds itself and combines as one. Yeah. And, And so... The deep attachment resonates with me, but the that idea of irreversibly bonded and combined with is, I think, going even a little further beyond the new definition to what, what do those words really mean? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So uh, the, like that, that particular passage reads pretty well. And the one before uh, is in the bottom of the slide. Because your faith is greatly enlarged, 
and the irreversible combination and bonding of each one of you with one another grows ever greater. So, I mean, that does bring up an eternal aspect to this idea, right? Love is, is eternal, but it, it doesn't always feel that way in a society where love crashes and burns in a lot of ways. But absolutely, the, the eternal aspect. Yeah, Greg. Uh, this wasn't on the slide, but you mentioned it. Um, it's Romans 2.4, and this is a verse I've read a million times in my life, but until I actually became aware of being best friends with God and intimate relationship with God, mm -hmm. I never really read it. It never really hit. And one of the reasons you asked what's our favorite, this is kind of reverse engineer thinking, I guess. Uh, my favorite is the King James because there's so much to unlearn from what I learned. <laughs> so it says, or despises that Romans 2, 4, but despises thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness and other translations say loving kindness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Um, I, as you and many people in this room have seen all kinds of man's methods on how to get someone to repent, including screaming from the foot and getting some shame in there and trying to figure out how you could just feel awful. Um, and the more often I come back to this verse, one, I'm more effective as an accidental evangelist, even on my worst day. Um, because what I found out was uh, if I focus on the loving kindness of God for me, like he really loves me that much, even today. And yes, as you mentioned, I've had I've had a day, I've had a legendary day, not good, um, and didn't respond well quite a few times. I could feel God saying, "I'm proud of you." I'm like, you know, I almost wanted him to be mad at me because I was mad at him, right? So I wanted him to match my mood, and he doesn't do that. <laughs> it's like, um, but the more I focus on the loving kindness of God, one, I'm able to overcome days like today. I'm able to be a better dad. I'm able to be a even accidentally, literally on my worst days, a very effective evangelist, because it's all, at that point I know it's all him and not me. There's no chance it's me. Not that I'm saying I willfully want to be in a bad mood or go do something wrong, but there's more of an authenticity to my relationship with God, and therefore my warm regard, warm regard and interest in other people who I otherwise would not care about. It would not matter. I. I would give them an Uber ride and move on, and all of a sudden I get into meaningful conversations. If I stay conscious of this, Bill Johnson liked to say, if I stay aware of the God who invades the impossible, and today I was a very impossible person to deal with, just had a lot going on, and then I won't be rattled quite so much by things I didn't expect to happen. That's not a direct quote, but so. But I love how you've, taken, okay, the reason I've run past that all my religious life, the goodness of God, is because what well, we all say God is good. It's, it's a catchphrase. It's not a wrong thing to say, but we kind of miss out on some of the details. God is warmly, instead of saying God is good, what, what if we were to say, what if God is warmly regarded and interested in me, even today? <laughs> so I think what's going to give us maybe something to, to move forward on is if we'll allow this has said love to take some of these other facets, these other nuances, and, and go in, we can begin to understand how it has the power to transform lives and transform the community and change the world. Love really does that. We do know that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For God so esteemed the world. For God so was so patient toward the world that he gave. For God was so kind to the world. I mean, was the gift of Christ an act of kindness? Holy cow, it was. See what I'm saying? So anyway, that's what we'll do. All right, Father, thank you for leading us into this discussion, leading us into these thoughts. And they're more than just up here in our heads, Lord. These are things that can begin to pull on the, the connecting tissue in our heart. Uh, whatever James Wilder says it does in the right brain, the left brain, the prefrontal cortex and all that stuff, I, I'm glad it does that. I, I don't doubt you built us to relate to this kind of stuff and to relate to you and to relate to one another. But I ask in Jesus' name that the reality of has said type community 
would motivate us to fill ourselves and one another with joy, would give us the courage to know that we belong and, and not to have it always a conditional state and to keep back so much of our heart from one another, and uh, that it would just sweep us into the perfection of your love in us. Because it always seems like such an enormous and frightening challenge to, to say, oh gosh, I need God's love perfected in me. But if this could do it by just broadening our heart and opening it up to one another and letting the people around us contribute their part to whatever joint provides, I think we can do that, Lord. So I ask for your help to transform us as a people through this stuff. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah.